Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guest is the one and only Matt Donovan, Chief Learning and Innovation Officer at GP Strategies. Hello, Matt, and Happy New Year to you. Hello. Glad to be with you here in the new year. Yes, always good to have you. So we're just a week or so into the new year, which is the perfect time to talk about some of the most important learning trends that we can expect to see in 2021. And not surprisingly, given the intense protests and discussions around race in 2020, one top trend for the new year is transformational diversity and inclusion. So how is a focus on diversity and inclusion set to transform learning in 2021? Well, I think it's a, it is important to note that diversity and inclusion has been an important conversation in a lot of organizations for a while now. It's many companies have focused on inclusive initiatives, really thinking through that in their you know, practices throughout the organization. But I think what's really different is how we start to look at it more systemically in the organizations. And so in one d dimension that we think about is let's talk about beyond the programs of a look at practices or activities that come into enabling folks to actually be able to be part of the future workforce. So what I'm really referring to is thinking about how we deliver and make opportunities available and accessible to folks. And I think that's one of the big dimensions. So giving the time and the space and ways in which it's going to enable. And for example, not everybody comes from a two-parent two-parent household. You have single parents out there that are working hard to not only working in their current job, but also trying to work hard to for the next job, for the future jobs out there. The ability to stop what you're doing, go off and take a degree while raising a family just may not be feasible. So when we start talking about approaches to make training available and more accessible that can work around their time, their schedules to be able to be part of that future workforce, to take advantage of those opportunities and for organizations to really look at the entire population for talent. So I think that's just the tip of the iceberg of ways in which we start to see things being differently. So moving beyond a concentrated or a single initiative to start looking more systemically across the organization. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. That's obviously important. And I think it gets to something that's come up in this regard and that a lot in the wake of the George Floyd killing, many corporations put right on the homepage of their website support for Black Lives Matter, support for related initiatives, which was good. But then a little bit of the backlash to that was, okay, what now? Anyone can put up a sign on their website. But what are you actually going to do to go beyond just putting up a sign? And so can you talk a little bit about what L&D practitioners can do alongside making learning more accessible to a, a wider array of employees, in, maybe in terms of content? I know a lot of corporations have incorporated, especially since George Floyd, maybe even before, uh, training on diversity, training on being more more attuned to the nuances, anti-racism training, stuff like that. What do you see? What, what do you see going on in twenty twenty one along those lines? 
I see a, a refinement of the conversation when, when it comes to you know diversity and inclusion. It's a complex topic. The concept of being inclusive is not just sitting out there and saying, "Hey, I, I welcome everybody," and it's not as simple as that. It's about having good, relevant conversations that reflect many years of reinforcement or cultural impact. It is a more sophisticated, more complex conversation, and the idea is getting to your point is it's more than just running a workshop one time a year or required online learning that I go read about something. It's as an organization, how do we start to systemically make some shifts? And I think learning and development specifically as a critical role as we start to think about how do you, you know, start to cover the gap in, in, in offerings and skill sets. So it's so almost in a sense really trying to and for lack of a better word, increase the democratization of education so that as we talk about future workforce and then the skill gaps that are presenting us for the future work to be done, how are we actually enabling the full population to be able to step into those gaps and fill those needs, fill those gaps, rather than the folks that are, it's easier for them to take advantage of, it's easier to you know connect and be a part of that. So I think it is moving beyond just a single course. Mm -hmm. And like you say, this is obviously a complex issue, not something you can cover in a single session and something that I think would extend well beyond 2021. This will be an ongoing discussion, an ongoing series of innovations, most likely. Yep. So now we've talked uh, on this podcast before. I think you and I have talked about, I've talked about with other guests, the importance of just-in-time learning or learning in the flow of work. Uh, which I think has become even more of a focus now that working remotely has become more of a norm. So how will this kind of learning continue to evolve in 2021? I think I think what we're going to be seeing is is more data informed systems. And what I mean is, when you think about automated workflows, when you think intelligent automation working around the work we do on a daily basis, we're going to actually be able to collect more and more data, and that data will then inform either the work we do or the learning that we serve up to them at that point of need when they're trying to accomplish a task. I've talked a little bit before about some of the work that the Microsoft organization has been doing around enabling organizations to pull productivity data or work activity data, not necessarily productivity per se, but work activity data from the, the office. So you have your Outlook account, you have a calendar, you have your emails, your calendars, your Teams, which is a chat. It could also be your Teams webinar. You also have the Teams sites, which is where you're doing document sharing. All of these things, you actually can then gather data about when and where people are working or collaborating. And so you can pull that data and then make some in, I, insights about it and then personalize or adjust the system around it. So let's talk about performance management. Many organizations have already shifted from, you know, performance conversations being one time a year to four times a year or more, more frequent, more common, which is a good practice. And right now you think about it as a manager in an organization, you have to think about going out to schedule them. You've got all your direct supervisors and you got to conduct a really good conversation. I may have had training months in advance of being able to do this, but imagine a situation where through a personal assistant that's available like a Cortana, personal assistant being able to support and enable. It comes into the fourth quarter and she says, Matt, I see that you still haven't had your performance review with Tom. 
who is your direct report? Would you like me to schedule? It looks like you both are available two weeks from this Thursday. In addition to that, I've pulled from the other system his last recorded performance review, some areas of what he's worked on, and I've thrown in a couple of videos, you know, short videos on experts talking about how to have a really great performance review. So as an assistant, she's enabling me, she schedules it, she, she pulls it together, and then as we have the meeting, I document it, it then goes in as another data point into the system. So now what you're doing is really at the point of work or performance around executing a performance management, uh, a performance conversation. I actually have everything I need brought to me in my environment without me having to leave and go into the HR system, into the talent system, into the timekeeping or wherever I need to go, three or four other systems to figure out what I need to have a conversation with. It's all brought together and it's scheduled and then I'm able to execute. Okay, that, that's a great example. And uh, it touches on one of the important elements of this kind of just-in-time learning, which is technology. And there are all kinds of technologies that some have been around for a while, some are relatively new, like Slack or others that make it easier to learn what you need to learn in the moment. And one of those technologies that I think hasn't caught on quite as much yet, but might in 2021 is virtual reality type technologies, virtual reality, augmented reality, what we might call extended reality. So what can we expect to see in 2021 in terms of how these kinds of technologies will be, will start to influence learning? I think we will continue to grow in the use of augmented and and uh, virtual reality. I think there'll be a lot of new research coming around about the efficacy, what are good applications of it. We will see some innovative new applications for virtual reality or, or augmented reality, given the fact they have different types of affordance or way in which, you know, what they're trying to address, how you're interacting with the real world with it or in the case of virtual reality, a platform and such. The key question is how long, how, what types of learning situations are really valuable for virtual reality? What's really benefited by an augmented reality? And trying to get back to some really good case examples that says here we were actually able to see documented results from using this approach or this strategy. I expect a lot more of that to come out in, in the future. Okay, so, that. yeah, so for those technologies, it sounds like we're still in the research phase of determining the tech is here. If you've ever used like an Oculus device, they're pretty fantastic, at least as a toy, like as for gaming. But the tech itself seems to have really matured a lot over the last few years. But it sounds like you're saying in terms of its usefulness, its efficacy in the workplace for learning, we're still learning how best to employ it, how best to use it. Yeah, and I think it's taken it from theory that we think it is or how we've done it to actually measuring its success. That's mm -hmm. really the big thing. So the question is, for example, people have thought about, hey, can I use 360 degree video or a virtual reality? Let's talk about virtual reality. I'm in a virtual or approximated space. We have characters, avatars. Is that a good environment to really teach about interpersonal skills? When you have an approximated expression of a human being, and you don't have the real life face-to-face -face components, is that really effective? It, it may be. There are places where you can use the distance because it's an approximation of a human. You can use that distance to actually create a safe space for people to try and 
learn some things, but it may also find that, yeah, I don't really resonate and connect with them because I don't get the facial expressions that I was looking for. All the other, the bits of sensory data you pull in, just even though you're in a virtual space, I just don't even have it available. So mm -hmm. I think that's a, the big question is to seeing what do we know from research really actually works. We have a lot of people that are applying it and trying it out. Let's say what the research shows us. What was the actual measured feedback on it? Here's we, we actually saw it. Not only did they like it, but it actually changed some measurable performance down the road. Mm -hmm. And that could differ depending on the industry you're in, with even within that industry, different sectors of the industry and so forth. And I would think there's quite a bit at stake because to roll something like that out on a large scale would not be cheap. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's cheaper than it has been in the past. So it is more affordable than ever. And if you want to drive devices, a device-based experience, the devices are cheaper than ever. So it is mm -hmm. becoming more accessible, more affordable than it ever has, but there are still some limitations. Yeah, and I guess just like any technology, even if it's more affordable, to, to roll something out on a large scale is a significant investment. And it's all too easy to fall into the trap of, this is cool. People seem to be doing this. I've heard a lot about it. Let's do it without taking the proper, without doing the proper research, like you said, to really know, is this a good fit for us, for our company, for our industry? Yeah. And I think at the same time, don't get me wrong, I, I believe that there are some really great applications of X augmented reality, virtual reality, blending of the different tools in, into an overall learning experience. I, I think there's some really great, the question I think we're going to look at is to really dig into and say, where are we really seeing that return on the investment? Yeah. Now, another technology that's gotten a lot of attention over the past few years is blockchain, which I think a lot of people, and I'm certainly including myself in this, know some know that it has something to do with cryptocurrency and computing but i don't have any kind of deep understanding of what blockchain actually is how it works and i certainly haven't thought much about how it might apply to learning so first what is blockchain in layman's terms and how might it apply to learning and be able to transform learning in interesting ways oh wow and that's a really great question it's how, how to best make it accessible. I think in the simplest terms, blockchain really offers us a, an advanced way of what I would consider record keeping. Absolutely up to date, one point of truth record keeping. So any place that you have that, that you have multiple people updating a record, for example, financial transactions, as you're talking about, this allows blockchain basically enables increased trust that the ledger or the actual record is up to date, accurate and trusted. And you may have folks that are constantly making transactions around the world at the exact same time. And if you have a set of records here and a set of records there, and even though you're trying to constantly update and sync those records into a rec into a single point, blockchain enables you to have that continuous point of reality for recording the data, the information. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So, or the transaction or updating of that record set. So it really gets back into how you're able to get trust into a, a point of record and, and it can reduce the energy and the effort around. So as you can think about the more transactions, the more updates to a record we have around the world, the more, you know, of, of that update maintenance alignment and that all that energy wrapped around, that's pretty significant to do that. And to make sure that that is true, even though you have constant changes to it. So this would allow also to reduce some of the energy around that record keeping as well. Okay. But it's a pretty, and I I probably haven't done it complete justice. I will say, I think one of the, their IBM has a great resource on an overview of what is blockchain. And it's actually, uh, you can access it on IBM.com. They have a great resource out there. It's it's like a series of five, they're actually four videos in five minutes that kind of breaks down what is blockchain. And it's as a concept, it's pretty powerful. Where I think it is for L&D is if you think of getting to a trusted, consistently updated record set, imagine what you'd be able to do in being able to have a single or or a trusted site of badging credentialing that, that you can say, this person has updated this component uh, of their credentials. It's accurate. It's up to date. And we're not having to do multiple points of, of record keeping. You're starting to get a consistent single updated transaction record or reflection of, of the individual, what their credentials are, what they've achieved and able to do that. It would start to also allow for real-time assembly. One of the folks that's been talking about how it could affect the L&D, they've looked at it and say it might start to open up the boundaries of higher ed. And what that means is I could start to get a partial degree from one institution, a partial degree from another, and start to create a consistent record for myself from multiple institutions. So I might be able to actually, for a yet to be determined job or function out there, I might be able to bring areas of expertise from multiple institutions into a single record for my credentialing to show that I'm qualified or I've actually been trained or I have the skill sets to actually do that job from different institutions to be able to do that. It's interesting because I think I don't think a lot of people, but it is currently being used in the L&D organization or in, in the industry itself. It is currently already being used to some degree, although not widely used. And I think we'll start to see more of it, but I think there's a lot more to be explored. How will it be beneficial? You definitely need to start to get a a threshold of involvement with it, in my opinion, for it really to take root. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's an exciting one. Yeah, that's really interesting. It sounds the next few years, will, will there'll be a lot of research on it, a lot of data collecting, like you described for extended reality to really understand how this is going to work, how, how it might be most effective in the L&D world. Now, we've only covered a few of the trends. There, there are many more. So, Matt, where can people learn about some of the other trends that we're likely to see in 2021 and beyond? So we definitely have uh, a couple of resources at our GP site that uh, we've gone through some of these. This is a, you know, a great time of the new year when we start to see several of the trends pieces being pulled out, but you'll definitely be able to see more of this on our site at GP. I've got a couple of recorded webinars. We've got some PDFs, I believe, that are also available to learn more about the ones that we've been highlighting here, as well as the ones that we didn't cover. Okay, excellent. And we can put some information on the website page about that. Matt, final question. Do you have any personal or work-related New Year's resolutions for 2021? 
<laughs> wow. I think like many of us, it's just as we're coming into this new year is to just remain as emotionally healthy as possible. I think that it's been simultaneously, many of us have been slowed down with the lack of travel. I used to travel quite a bit. I haven't done that as much, but that travel stress has been replaced by other types of stress. Mm -hmm. And so it's an opportunity to, I think, reflect and really focus on the emotional health of ourselves and others. We still have ways to go here in 2021 as we're continuing through the pandemic. We're getting the economy back up and running. All of that, we've got a lot of work ahead of us, but I think remaining as emotionally sound as possible is going to be you know, the challenge. Yep, a challenge for everybody. Absolutely. Matt, thank you as always for a great discussion. Once again, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to all of our listeners. And as always, thanks for listening. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com slash podcasts.